listening to a Garden City Chapel podcast by Dr. Robert Shaw. For a complete archive of podcasts, visit our website at www.gardencitychapel.com. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. I encourage you to open your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 7. I'm preaching through the book of Luke. And I know some of you, this is your only time here. If you'd like to hear what we've been doing before this and what we do after, you can uh, log on to our podcast at, at GardenCityChapel.com. It's a pretty simple little link there. Uh, if you're interested in that, or if you just want to say, hey, you got to hear this preacher, he sounds like Gomer, uh, you can do that. <laughs> Speaking of that, has there ever been, don't answer this out loud, it's one of them preacher questions. Have you ever had a problem forgiving people? Maybe there's somebody right now that you need to forgive, and it just is the hardest thing in the world. I grew up with a brother who was about five years older than me. Uh, Actually, he's still five years older than me. He lives in the Atlanta area. We have a great relationship now, but something about being... You know, two boys in a household, both parents worked. He abused me as a child. I mean, there were just things he did to me. I won't go into all the details, but there were times that he would do something to me that I would just determine I will never forgive him. I mean, it got to the point where I said, I can't take him right now. He's bigger than me. He's uglier than me. But one day when he's 90 years old and, you know, on a wheelchair, he's in a wheelchair, and I'm 85 years old on crutches, I'm going to make a note to just beat the fool out of him at that point. You know, I just had this mental picture of me just whacking him in the head with my crutches, and he's probably going to say, why'd you do that? I'm like, I don't know. I don't remember. (laughs) But I made a note to do it. You deserved it. And then what does God do when you have those thoughts? You read God's Word, and He says, Colossians 3, forgive others. If you have any problem with someone else, forgive them. And then he clarifies it, just as the Lord has forgiven you. I don't want you to spend a lot of time this morning thinking about what you've been forgiven from. I don't want you to dwell on your past, but sometimes we need to be reminded of what it means to be forgiven. We encounter people every day who don't know the Lord. And the thing they need in their life is to hear God say, you are forgiven forgiven. I don't know how many of you read Parade Magazine. This was last week's Shia LaBeouf's pictures on the front. Did anybody read this? Does anybody even know what I'm talking about? Parade Magazine. It's in the paper. Remember back when we used to have newspapers before the internet? Well, I still take the paper. And I normally just read the comics and whatever it says in the beginning. But I want you to hear this. This is the end of his little article on him. He says this. He says, Why did the love of my life and I break up? He asked, puzzled. Man, I have no idea. What was that all about? I have no answers to anything, none. Why am I an alcoholic? I haven't a clue. What is life about? I don't know. He shakes his head and smiles his movie star grin. What I do know is I mess up, and I know that I'm working on myself to be a better person. So I have no apologies. The best I can do is learn from my mistakes and move forward, and that's what I'm trying to do. You need to pray for Shia LaBeouf because it really the more telling thing was over in the beginning of the article. He says this. He says, I don't handle fame well. Most actors on most days don't think they're worthy. I have no idea where this insecurity comes from, but it's a God-sized hole. If I knew, I'd fill it and I'd be on my way. 
Well, it's a God-sized hole. Is that a clue? You can't fill a God-sized hole. You need to be forgiven and you can't forgive yourself. The offense is against God. And He offers forgiveness. I want to share with you this morning out of this passage a lesson on forgiveness. And I want to start with the object of the lesson. I'm again reading in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who's touching him, that she is a sinner. Let me give you the context of this passage, Jesus has been teaching all around the area known as the Galilee. Probably somewhere near Capernaum at this point. We're not sure. It doesn't say. But somewhere in that area, He's invited by a Pharisee. It's interesting because a couple of chapters earlier, He had been invited by a tax collector. And the Pharisees complained that He would eat with sinners and tax collectors. And so the Pharisee invites Him, come over for dinner. And Jesus accepts this gracious invitation Goes over for dinner. Now I'm one of those I ask questions when I when I you know when I'm studying scripture. I'm thinking, what was the motive of the Pharisee? We don't know exactly. It may be that this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and he had heard that he was a prophet, he was a teacher, and he simply wanted to hear more. It may be that he had already had a meeting with the Pharisees because we know ultimately their goal was to trap Jesus in some way so that they could have a reason to get rid of him. But for whatever reason, it may have been just a pure motive of wanting to have Jesus over for dinner. And most likely, the dinner that he has Jesus over to was a public meal, probably the Passover, or excuse me, probably just as a Sabbath meal. Because we know that during the Sabbath meal, if you were a Jew, you would have this Sabbath meal, but you also would leave the doors open. Other people could come in and sit against the wall. They could listen to what was going on, and they could literally beg for table scraps at the end of the meal. It was in this setting that this woman... Enters. It says that when she learned that Jesus was having dinner at the Pharisee's house, she came into the house. Her purpose was to ultimately break open this vial of perfume and anoint his feet. But she is overcome with emotion. And it says that her tears fall in such a way that she is wetting his feet. Now, I need to stop right there and explain something because you're thinking, wait a minute, he's sitting at the table. How is she getting? Is she crawling under the chair or under the table? Let me explain how they ate back then. They didn't have chairs like we did. They would eat on low-lying tables. They would have low couches or pillows, and they literally would lean on one elbow, their left elbow, and eat. So his feet would be behind him, and somebody else would be right here. In fact, the pictures that we have of the Last Supper, you know, is you know everybody's kind of sitting in a chair, and they're all prim and proper. And yet the Scripture tells us that John was leaning against the chest of Jesus. That's how you ate back then. You would carry on conversations. You would eat. Honestly, it doesn't sound very comfortable to me. I'm kind of glad we don't eat like that anymore, that we've evolved into chairs. But uh, that's how they ate. So his feet would have been behind him. And so this woman comes in behind him. And again, here's a woman that at some point had encountered Christ. 
We don't know where she came from. We don't have the story of the encounter. But we know from this passage, she had trusted Christ as her Savior. She was now forgiven, and it overwhelmed her. So she comes into this place, and the understanding she had of her sin and how great they had been, she was overwhelmed with tears. And she began crying. In fact, her reputation was, it says that, a woman who was a sinner. That was her reputation. She was a woman of ill repute. Don't know exactly what got her that reputation, but everybody in town knew this woman. She was a sinner. She was the kind of woman that you only talked about behind her back in whispered tones, but everybody pointed. Everybody knew this woman. She walks in and stands at the feet of Jesus. In fact, crouches and begins crying so much that she's wetting His feet. And wiping them. She doesn't have a towel, so she takes down her hair and begins wiping his feet with her hair, which was something that only a slave would do. But it shows the humility that this woman had to be in the presence of Jesus. And then she takes this vial of perfume, this alabaster box. It would have been this uh, box or, or goblet-looking thing that would women back then would wear them around their neck. In fact, they became so much a part of a woman that they were even allowed to wear them on the Sabbath. It was like part of them, and they would have it around their neck in case they need it. They would break it open. Well, that's what she anointed his feet with. And she kept wiping his feet, drying the tears, kissing his feet, anointing his feet with perfume. And the Pharisee says to himself, if he knew what kind of woman this was, he must not be a prophet. Because if he really were a prophet, if he knew the heart of people, if he could tell what kind of woman this was, he wouldn't have anything to do with her. And so for whatever the Pharisee's motive was for asking Jesus over to dinner, he has now determined, I don't need to listen to this guy anymore. He's not a prophet. Well, we're going to learn in a little bit that Jesus does demonstrate his prophetic gift. But at this point, you have on the one hand the religious high and mighty Pharisee. The one who was really a separatist. The one who kept the law strictly. They even had to write laws to help them keep the laws. It wasn't just the Ten Commandments they kept. It wasn't just the other laws in the Old Testament. They added laws on top of that to help them keep those laws. For instance, we're told in the Ten Commandments to honor the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. So the, the Pharisees had added to that, well, you can't walk more than a certain distance from your house. And then they found little tricks how to get away from that. They can kind of declare someplace, well, this is my home away from home. So now I can walk a little bit further. They said things to ladies like, you can't look at a mirror on the Sabbath because you may see a gray hair and be tempted to pluck it out, thereby creating work. Men, you couldn't spit on the Sabbath because you may stir up the dust of the ground and create mud and thereby constitute work. In fact, it's interesting if you remember when Jesus healed the man that was blind. He spit on the ground, made some mud, and put it on his eyes. You ever wonder, why did he do that? Well, it's interesting to know he did that on the Sabbath. That offended the religious people. Jesus didn't have to make mud. He could have simply spoken a word and healed the guy. But Jesus was teaching a lot more than just, I can heal this guy. He was teaching the Pharisees that, the, that man wasn't created for the Sabbath. Sabbath was created for the man, for men. So that's the Pharisee. On the other hand, you have this woman who everybody knows is a sinner. And she comes in not to partake of the meal, not even to beg of scraps, not to act like she belongs there. She comes in humbly 
and not even to anoint his head. You see, what should have happened is as Jesus walked into this man's house, the man should have had someone there to wash his feet. When you entered the house, you would have taken your sandals off, but you've been walking on dirt roads and through fields all day. Your feet are dirty. So you should have taken his feet off. His feet off. Somebody, that's not good. He should have taken his sandals off, and somebody should have washed his feet. They didn't do that. The other thing, if you're really a gracious host, you would have had some olive oil at the door, and as he entered, you would have anointed his head with oil. But he didn't do that either. In fact, later on, Jesus points all that out to the Pharisee for being the religious person and yet really not even observing the custom of the day as a gracious host. And so the Pharisee had determined either, by Jesus allowing this woman to do this, either he's really not a strict observer of the law, in which case he's a sinner, or he's really not a prophet. Because if he was, he'd know what kind of person this was. And it's interesting to note in verse 39, the prophet didn't, I mean, the, the religious person didn't say this out loud. He said, he said it to himself. And then we come to the object of the lesson. That's kind of the... The object lesson, but here's, or excuse me, the, the object lesson now. That was the object of the lesson, the woman, and really the Pharisee. But now it's the object lesson itself. Jesus answered him. Isn't that interesting? Guy didn't say anything out loud. He's just been thinking this to himself. And this is the same guy that thought if he really knew what kind of woman this was. What did Jesus know about the woman? He knew she had been forgiven. But he's tell, he answers the guy a question he hadn't asked, but he's been thinking it. So let me read these verses, verses 40 and following. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have judged correctly. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. The object of the lesson then, Jesus tells a parable. And instead of saying right up front to the Pharisee, you're wrong, he said, let, let me tell you a story. Take the example of a money lender, someone who's lending money at interest. He has two debtors. One owes him 500 denarii, about two years' wages. A denarii was roughly equivalent to one day's wage. For a Roman soldier or a day laborer, at the end of the day, you'd get one denarii. So if you owed 500, almost two years' wages. The other one owed 50. And the money lender forgave them both. Now, I know we have some bankers in here, and that's not something you ever do. It'd be nice, but this guy did that. Why did he do it? Well, both of them were unable. They were both insolvent. They were both unable to pay the debt that they owed. And so the money lender forgave both of them. And Jesus, Jesus uses this story to ask the question, which one of these debtors is going to love the money lender more? And Simon, again, a little indignant. In fact, he says, well, I suppose. Kind of a gracious answer, but not real encouraging. In fact, when Jesus said, I have something to say to you, he said, well, say it. It wasn't that he was really encouraging Jesus to teach him anything at this point, but it was kind of like, you know, speak to me. And so he does. He shares this story. And Jesus asked the question at the end of it. And again, I don't think Simon's quite getting it. He's not quite putting two and two together that 
you're the debtor, Simon. But Simon says, well, I guess the one whom he forgave more, Jesus says, you've correctly judged. That's right. The one who he forgave more is going to love him. And Jesus doesn't have to fill in the blanks, but he does a little bit and he says, Simon, when I entered your house, you had no water for my feet. When I entered the house, you gave me no kiss. It was customary, a kiss of greeting on the cheek. And you didn't anoint my head with oil, olive oil. I don't know if this was E-V-O-O or not, but it was olive oil. He said, Simon, that's what you didn't do, but let me tell you what this woman did do. You didn't give me water for my feet. She's been crying tears, enough tears that it's wet my feet, and she's dried them with her hair. She didn't give me a kiss on the cheek. She's been kissing my feet. This woman, who probably still feels so unworthy, wouldn't even dare kiss my cheek. She's kissing my feet. An illustration of humility. You didn't give me any oil for my head, just cheap, plentiful olive oil, but she has broken open a vial of costly perfume. In fact, the word for perfume is the word myrrh. Ever heard that word before? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's what this is. She's taken this which cost a lot. In fact, there's another account over in Matthew's Gospel, and scholars debate over whether this is the same account or a different one. I kind of think it's a different one because there's just different circumstances. And the other one is the disciples that say, we should have saved this money. The money that was wasted to anoint your feet with this oil, it could have been used to pay a bunch of, you know, to feed a bunch of people. Jesus says, don't you understand she's anointing me for burial? In this case, the lesson is for Simon to understand she's been forgiven much. In fact, Jesus says she's been forgiven of her many sins. This woman was not just somebody the Jews looked at and said she's a Gentile, we ought to stay away from her. This woman has many sins. In fact, she's a notorious sinner. And the reason it bothered Simon so much was for Jesus as a religious teacher to be touched by a sinner made him ceremonially unclean. And yet Jesus wasn't worried about that. In the same way He touched lepers that nobody else would touch, He touched the least of these that nobody else would touch. And He allowed the least of these to touch Him. And He says to Simon, for this reason, this is... The last point, and that is simply this, the response of the lesson. In fact, let me say this before I get to that point. I think it's interesting that when he says to Simon in verse 44, do you see this woman? Simon had seen her, right? He had been the one to point it out to Jesus, or at least he's been thinking it. If he knew who this was, he wouldn't let her touch him. Simon basically says, you see this woman? See, I think Simon had seen her with his eyes, but all he saw was a sinner. Kind of like, have you ever seen somebody that you've seen them every day for years and like they shaved their mustache? Aunt Ruth, or, you know, shaved her mustache and you're like, or, you know, Timmy. And you didn't even notice it. It's like weeks later you say, when did you shave your mustache? Well, a year ago. I asked somebody this morning, when did you get braces? <laughs> it's because in my mind I'm picturing her without braces. And I saw them this morning. They said, she's had them for a while. Well, that's kind of what had happened in this case, that Simon saw the woman, but he really didn't see the woman. All he saw was what he had known her to be up to that point. 
She was a brand new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, For you who are in Christ, the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You're a brand new creation. That's what stood before her, that, him. That's what Jesus saw. And all Simon saw was sinner. And Simon saw no hope for her. So Jesus teaches the lesson. And then let's make some applications, the response to the lesson. Verse 47. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, don't misunderstand the passage. It wasn't her act that earned her forgiveness. It wasn't her love. In fact, the point of the story is not that the debtor, by his love, earned forgiveness of the debt. But it was because the debt had been forgiven that he loved. And that's the same with this woman. She had had an encounter with Christ before this. And maybe not met Him in person, but may have been part of the crowd that had responded to the message. She was already forgiven, and the outpouring of her love, her demonstrating of love was, thank you that I'm forgiven. And see, Simon, who Jesus is basically saying, you've been forgiven very little. Why? Because you don't even know you need a Savior. Folks, don't get in that position in your life where you feel like, hey, I'm all right. I was watching television one day. In fact, really was supposed to already be out the door heading somewhere. And there was a story about a judge in Mississippi that was had introduced a new form of punishment for criminals. He was making them stand out in front of the courthouse with a sign, front and back, one of those sandwich signs that pronounced what your crime was. And the one on television they were showing is the guy was standing there and it said, I'm a convicted thief. And so part of his punishment was he had to stand out and let the whole world know he's a thief. And I stopped dead in my tracks because the thought that entered my mind was, apart from Christ, what would be on your sign? Of course, my first thought was, I'm going to need more than one sign. <laughs> but folks, in Christ, what's on my sign now? Forgiven. Let me tell you what the word forgiven means. It means to send forth or to send away. You and I cannot do that. One of our presidents one time said, forgive your enemies, but never forget their names. What does that mean? Well, you can offer forgiveness, but keep a list and check it twice. And when you have an opportunity to get back at them, take it. Or if they ask you to trust them again, don't do it. You've got their name on your bad list. What does God say about forgiveness? Just a few principles of God's forgiveness. Let me share a few verses with you. Isaiah 38, 7. Isaiah says this. He says, You have cast all my sins behind your back. Micah 7, 19. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Jeremiah 31, 34. I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Isaiah 43:25 I even I am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake 
and I will remember, I will not remember your sins. Psalms 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. See, God's able to do that. In fact, if you've asked forgiveness and come back a week later and say, God, you remember that sin I was talking about a week ago? He says, no. Why? Because he's forgetful? No. It's because he chooses to not hold it against you. He chooses to remember it no more. He's chosen to cast it into the sea, to put it behind his back. It is not in front of his face anymore. So I don't know what your view of God is when you finally face him one day. He's not going to be sitting there with a scowl on his face going, well, come on in. Why? Because through Christ, if you're a believer, if you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are forgiven. Let that sink in today. You are forgiven. Now, in a practical sense, how do we forgive? Well, I can't forgive and forget. I, I, I'm human. I can say that I forgive you, but it's hard sometimes to forget. So somebody shared this with me one day. It really helped me. I'll share it with you. If you've really forgiven somebody, you'll be able to treat that person as if the offense never happened. And it may take a while to get there. It may take God's power working within you. It may take you saying, God, I want to forgive them. I don't want every time I see them for this to be the thing that's on my mind. And through the power of God and time, ask God to bring you to that point where you won't think about it every time you see them and you won't treat them based on what they've done, but rather you treat them as if it never happened. And then the last thing is this thing about God's forgiveness. Somebody had to pay the penalty. You know, in the story that Jesus tells, you hear about the money lender, and you don't realize somebody had to pay the price of that money that was lent. It was the money lender who said, I'll forgive your debt, but he had to absorb the loss. For Christ to offer you life means that our penalty had to be paid. And Jesus paid it. The same Jesus who looked at this woman and said, you are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go into peace. He didn't just sweep her sin under the rug. He didn't just say it doesn't matter. He one day would die on the cross to pay the penalty of her sin. Put yourself in her place. As a child of God, He died on the cross to pay the penalty of your sin. That's the offer that God makes for forgiveness. Let's pray together. Bow your heads. Father, I thank you that Ephesians is true, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We could not save ourselves. And yet you have made us alive together with Christ. For by grace we are saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not a result of our works. If it was, we'd boast about it. But we come to you, Father, empty-handed, admitting we need a Savior. So, Father, if there's anyone within the sound of my voice today that recognizes that they are needy for a Savior, they've never given their life to Christ and asked for forgiveness, God, I pray today would be the day of their salvation, that they would humbly bow before you and say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And apart from you, I'll spend eternity separated from you. But today I ask you to 
forgive me of my sin, to be my Lord and Savior. God, when we do that, you forgive our sin. You become our Savior, our protector, our deliverer, and our Lord. You begin a work in us that you will finish. And one day we'll see you face to face and spend eternity with you in heaven. God, I pray that that would happen today. And I pray that in Christ's name.